I haven't shared since I've come back from Peru and I was thinking about all the places that we went this year. More more of a different locations than ever before and, and I just wanted to say and this relates to you Joyce that God was with us so closely every day in all the places that we went the highest mountain we climbed and the, and the dangerous cliffs that we crossed <laughs> um, and God is with us through all kinds of things um, spiritually and physically and Today's message is about forgiveness, and I think it's through that, through God's forgiveness, that he is able to be so close to us um, through it all. Um, The Bible describes God as a forgiving God in many places, in the Old and in the New Testament. And in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, it says, you know, Jesus was giving an example of how we should pray. He says, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Forgive us of our debts as we also forgive those who are our debtors. And then after he gives this example in verses 14 and 15, he explains even further, um, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your transgressions. So from this, it seems important that we also be forgiving. Um, God's forgiveness is a wonderful gift for us that we do not deserve. And it's humbling to receive a gift that is so great that we are so unworthy of. But when we receive the gift, we who receive it, if we receive it with joy and enjoy it, then it glorifies the one who gave it. And so Jesus is glorified when we receive his forgiveness and enjoy the life we have through that. So God is a God who does forgive. Um, in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Psalm 65, it says, When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Also in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals your diseases. And then in the New Testament, as I've just read, it says, For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. And then in John, 1 John 1, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when I think about the implications of God being a forgiving God and having forgiven us so much, we first have to realize one of the implications of God being forgiving is that we all need God's forgiveness. Um, You know, the Roman road, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need God's forgiveness. And God has acted for our forgiveness to happen 
in both the Old and the New Testament. In Zechariah 13:1, the prophet often the prophets often spoke of, of the coming forgiveness of God, and there it says, "Oh, that the day there on that day there shall come a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness." And also in the New Testament, um, God acted for our forgiveness, first by sending his son, and then by his son dying on the cross. In Matthew 26, it says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for your many, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And God also acted for our forgiveness in sending the apostles um, to preach the gospel and proclaim forgiveness through Jesus. The message of the apostles was to the was one of forgiveness. And Jesus told the apostles, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So we of all people should be forgiving and when we do that it is a witness of God's forgiving nature. I started preparing this message by looking at Ephesians 4 and in verse 25 it starts out therefore having put away falsehood let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil let no corrupting talk come from your mouth but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to the to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Here we see six things that I think displace forgiveness or stand in the way of it or indicate that we don't have forgiveness. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And it grieves the Holy Spirit when we are not forgiving when what we say is corrupting talk instead of speaking in grace and forgiveness. <coughs> Here in this um, verse, the term grieve means to wound or to injure the Holy Spirit. So I wanted to look at briefly the what are these six emotions, if you will, that displace forgiveness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. First, bitterness from the Greek word pick means to cut. 
means we are inclined to have a harsh opinion of other people. Maybe people, people with bitterness have a constant thought track running through their minds that other people are not good enough um, and they are bitter because of unforgiveness. They have a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. In your thoughts, it's like you're an umpire, like in the uh, King of Hearts skit, <laughs> and you're saying, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. There's, there's that bitterness inside. When I was very young, I used to imagine in my mind um, how I felt about other people in my family. And I would envision this water tank with someone's name on it, my sister, my dad, my mom. Your tank was empty. I was out of patience with you. Um, I'd had it, you know. I don't think that way anymore, but I could relate to this. You know, there was bitterness and, and unforgiveness, um, and that's how I, I used to visualize it. Um, so we keep an, in, unforg- in unforgiveness and bitterness, we keep an account of each person. Uh, one more strike and you're out. Um, that's, that's bitterness. Then there's wrath, which is a deep, settled indignation, a constant flame of, of anger, sometimes caught, caught up by the wind, and, and sometimes it blows up in wrath. Uh, anger is more of a temporary explosion of emotions. When we hurt from unforgiveness, you know, we have the potential for outbursts of, of anger. Then these next two, clamor and slander, I think of more of uh, audible phenomenon. Clamor is the noise of strife in a relationship, a constant conflict. Um, you've heard maybe you've heard people, uh, I know people that say, well, "I've just got to say something. I've, I've got to be heard." Um, and whether you want to hear this or not, you know that's that's the clamor in bringing conflict um, from a, a heart of unforgiveness. Slander is actually um, evil speech. The word there is blasphemia, which is um, evil speech either against God or, or others. Words intended to injure. I've always liked the phrase, use words that help, use words that heal. I've always often asked God for those in times of stress or, or conflict. But the opposite of that would be words that injure. And these things prevent forgiveness. Then the last one is is malice, which is an evil inclination of the heart. (coughs) I remember when I was in high school, I I was in law and government class, and we had a a mock trial because we'd studied the justice system, and perhaps because my father was an attorney, they thought I should be one of the lawyers in the mock trial. I was very shy in high school and didn't want to get up and defend some guy accused of murder. Um, and or not sorry, I'm not defend. I was the prosecution. I had to prove that he had malice, uh, which is that he thought about doing something bad and then he did it. Um, and so um, that's malice is to have uh, those intentions of doing something evil. Um, but when there is forgiveness, these damaging emotions are eliminated and healing can begin. So often forgiveness is much for our benefit as it is for the person we feel that has wronged us. Um, 
So in the scripture I read earlier, it says to be kind rather than these six bad emotions, to be kind and to be tender-hearted. And kindness starts with an action, a choice to do something for someone that maybe you don't like, um, as if they were your friend. Um, and if our if we want our feelings inside to change, we often have to do something outward, and the feelings will follow. Um, but um, forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Um, you know, in the, in the in the Bible, there's lots of verses where it says God doesn't remember our sins anymore. But when God doesn't forget. He, he's that forget would be a a foul. A, a, a fault. God is perfect. He, he cannot forget. Um, but he does something better. He forgives. And, you know, does, does God remember my sins after I'm forgiven? You know, the Bible has many scriptures about, about this. In Isaiah 43, it says, I, even I, and he that blots out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. And then in Jeremiah, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. And in Hebrews 8, for I will be merciful to the unrighteous and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And in Hebrews 10, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. But does this mean he has no knowledge of these sins? Of, of course not. God knows all things. He knows all things immediately. It doesn't take him five seconds to remember your name. He made billions of stars and he knows each one. That is, God never has to compute an answer, nor recall one. All information is immediately before him, past, mm-hmm. present, and future. That we ask the question, though, does God remember, gets precisely at um, why God uses this kind of language. We want to know if he really does remember, because we really are really ashamed and wish that he didn't. We want to be really, really sure that we are really, really forgiven. We know that when people say, after we ask them for forgiveness, oh, I already forgot it. Sometimes they secretly hold a grudge, but not so with God. There is no later use. There is no secret hidden grudge. The amazing truth of the gospel isn't that God decides not to hold our sins against us. The amazing thing is that my sins are already dealt with, already punished. There is no grudge. Not because God has forgotten, but because he remembered our sins at Calvary. Our sins are not forgotten, but forgiven. Because Jesus received their due punishment. Our Father in Heaven loves us as if we had never sinned at all. Our sin has no part in it. They simply don't count. 
because they were canceled on the cross. The glory of the gospel is that my sins are already dealt with, already punished. Our Heavenly Father is a loving and gracious, omniscient God who cannot forget, but praise God, can and does forgive. So Isaiah, I mean, what Ephesians 4.31 seems to be saying is that God's forgiveness is total and complete. And we forget, and when we forgive others, it bears witness to God's forgiveness of us. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, it starts with kindness, us releasing that person that we feel has wronged us. And then next, with God's help, we have tender-heartedness. <clears throat> and this is something that's inside. I think your kindness is more of an outside thing. Tender-hearted is something inside. And the phrase tender-hearted is actually only used twice in the New Testament. <coughs> and it means a readiness to feel the pain of another person. God gives you compassion for them. When I realize how much God loves me, and he loves them also. And Romans 12, starting in verse 9, adds some more to this. It says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. And then here's where it gets interesting. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head do not overcome by evil but overcome evil with good so Christ's example is elevated when we forgive as God forgives us. Just as totally and just as completely. And maybe you haven't thought about it, but unbelievers are watching to see if you forgive. If you live out forgiveness. They've heard something about this 
turn the other cheek and love your enemies and maybe it's one of the things they like to quiz you about when they talk about the Bible but they're watching to see does that person really forgive differently your children may be watching to see if this faith thing is real can you forgive my unbelieving sisters and brother are watching me to see can I forgive even as God in Christ forgave me are we, are we really different because we forgive differently? Biblical forgiveness witnesses the truth of Christ in you, that you are a new creation, completely changed by the Spirit of God in your heart. So we ought to be the most forgiving people in what we do and what we say. And forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. And forgiveness is living with the consequences of another person's sin. When we think about Jesus on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They have put nails through his hands and feet, and what does he do? He forgives them. Being in the drama Spellbound this summer, as the tree mime, I would also play the part of the cross. And I stand there in the back for minutes with my arms out. And your arms start to hurt, and to keep my mind off of that, I tried to think about what did Jesus do on the cross. So I had a lot of time to think about. He forgave them. Forgiveness is choosing not to hold someone's sin against them anymore. It's not forgetting it's not living in denial. I can't wait until I feel like forgiving. I have to will to do it. Mm -hmm. Corey Ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place, about a book, a book about the, uh, her experience in the Nazi concentration camps, um, said, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. She also said, God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. And in another place where she talked about choosing to forgive, she said, forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgiveness must come from the heart. That's what's different about biblical forgiveness. In the book of Matthew, Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times, he said. Verse 21. And I think Peter must have thought he picked a high enough number the rabbis taught that forgiving someone three times was sufficient. If you didn't do it at least that many, you were considered cruel. Um, but nothing in the Jewish Talmud required forgiveness for more than that. And knowing that, I think Peter picked a bigger number. But Jesus' answer probably startled him. And he said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And I think he was really saying, don't count, just forgive. 
just as it is the nature of God to be merciful to us, so man is attempting to imitate the ways of God should be forgiving toward those who have injured him. And this is the point that Jesus makes later in Matthew 18 when he gives the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus said there were two servants owed their master money. One servant owed a hundred denarii, which is not very much. Um, and the other owed 10,000 talents, which, um, if you convert that to American dollars and, and gold, uh, if you say it's a gold talent, um, that would be like 9 million ounces of gold, more than any of us could ever possibly pay. just an enormous amount. And so we consider these these two debts that one man owed about $20 and the other man owed about a trillion dollars. When God asks us to forgive one another, it's like us forgiving the $20. When God forgave us, it was like forgiving the trillion dollars. More than any man could ever pay. we cannot forgive without God. Forgiveness, like many principles in the Bible, requires God's help. We cannot be saved without God's intervention. We cannot be healed without His power. And we can't manifest the fruits of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit. And we cannot forgive as God forgives without His help. God's forgiveness is perfect. And there is no sin so terrible that cannot be forgiven. You know, as I was preparing this, I, I felt it was important to talk about God's forgiveness and how we should forgive others. And then I got to the idea of, do we have to forgive ourselves? And it's sort of a pop psychology topic for some people, so I, I didn't know if I should say anything about that, but... I think the first thing to realize is that God's forgiveness is complete and perfect. And there is no sin so terrible that you cannot be forgiven. In Colossians 1, 13, it says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transform, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's the wonder and miracle of his grace. We receive what we don't deserve, forgiveness. We owe him everything. He owes us nothing, yet gives us all. That's what makes his grace truly amazing. we see how God forgives and we consider how important it is to forgive others but what about ourselves do we realize that we are a new creation in Christ and forgiven 2 Corinthians 5.17 says therefore if any man is in Christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things become new and whenever I 
I hear those voices from the world saying, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not rich enough. I think about that song, The Voice of Truth from Casting Crowns. In the chorus it says, but the voice of truth tells me a different story, a different story from what I hear in the world. And the voice of truth says, do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. So if we've repented from our past, and we've trusted in Christ for our forgiveness, then we are forgiven. And when the enemy is trying to beat you up over the past, realize what Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God says, I will not remember their sins. God will not treat us less generously on account of having been great sinners. You that have been the chief of sinners, he will not put you on the second in a second class of Christians or treat you with some sort of second second rate love. God will not even remember that you have sinned, but treat you as if you had been perfectly innocent and you are totally clear of all iniquity. I think of Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people being saved after his first sermon. Peter had denied the Lord three times, but God used him greatly. God forgave him. God's infinite love has made us to be accepted, precious in his sight, and honorable to bring glory unto him. Is this not the sign of his perfect forgiveness? With his whole heart, God watches over us to do us good. God is perfect. His forgiveness is perfect too. You know, one message I read on forgiveness said that there were four gives in forgiveness. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. We give forgiveness to others. And God gives his complete, perfect forgiveness and salvation to us. With this, I have confidence in the presence of God, realizing that the Bible says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, and to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for forgiving us. Help us to be forgiving to others. Not holding resentment in our hearts or in what we say. Lord, we want to displace bitterness and anger with kindness and tenderness and tenderheartedness to forgive others as you've forgiven us. Thank you for the freedom that comes from releasing bitterness and anger and choosing forgiveness. Thank you for loving us and accepting us 
Thank you for removing our guilt, that you have plans for our good to give us a future and a hope. We pray this in Jesus' name.